0: You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we move into week three of the Advent season, focusing on the theme of joy. As always, our prayer is that God would use His Word to work in us as we listen and submit to Him. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Isaiah 55? That is our text for today. We have 13 verses. There are a lot into these 13 verses, and so I pray that we are going to be able to enjoy them. As you are Turning to Isaiah, I know that we were in there just last week, so if your Bible ribbon is still there, we were in chapter 1, go to chapter 55, Uh, that'll get you there. If you are new with us today, and, and Isaiah may be an unfamiliar book to you, I would encourage you always, and never be ashamed of this, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. It helps you navigate this incredible book. So please go there, find the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, find your way there, and then go to chapter 55. As you are making your way, let me give you a reminder and an encouragement as to what next Sunday will look like here at Broadmoor. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. What? That's crazy. It feels like it was just April yesterday. With that being said, next Sunday is Christmas Eve and it is going to be an absolutely awesome day. So we are going to have our worship service at 9.30, our regular morning Sunday worship service at 9.30. Same time, same place, be in this room. But as a reminder, there is no life group meeting that day and there is no child care meeting that day. And you say, well, Josh, that has, that has caused me to want to worship uh, from at home online. Let, let, me, let me encourage you with something though, okay? I would love for everybody, particularly if you have young kids or young grandchildren, young nieces and nephews, to be in this room at 930, because this is going to be a service that is geared specifically, really, for for them. We are going to sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. We're going to hear from God's Word, but we're going to have a great time doing it, okay? And I think we're going to look fashionable as well. With that being said, when you walk into our campus next Sunday, and all of you will with all of your friends, it's going to be a great time at 930 on Sunday morning, there is going to be wassel stations. I had to Google what that was it 's delicious you 're going to have wassel stations and hot cookie stations around all the entrances of our church there 's going to be chocolate, hot chocolate, and there 's going to be coffee and We would love for you to come and enjoy that there 's going to be goodie bags for all of the children to come and enjoy we 're going to ask you family to, to come as casual as you would like, even we would love for 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 our children, or you, I don't really care what you wear, you wear pajamas. Uh, maybe I do care. But in, in, in that, wear pajamas honoring to the Lord as we come and worship together. As we come into this room, it is going to be a lot of fun. If you were here last year on Christmas Day, it will feel a lot like that, and you know how great of a time that was. That's the morning service. Oh, I was also asked to, to mention this uh, from my wife and our preschool team. Uh, the service will not go a whole hour any amens? Okay, we're aiming for thirty to forty minutes next Sunday morning. Okay, uh, so that is going to be a blast. That is nine thirty next Sunday. Next Sunday is also Christmas Eve, and we have our fantastic Christmas Eve evening services where we do our Lord's Supper and we do our candlelight service, and that is at four and at six. Let me give you an encouragement. Uh, as long as I have been here and as long as I believe we've been doing these type of services, that first service, the four o'clock, is absolutely full, like standing room around the edges of this church, full. And we would love for you to come and enjoy that. So be here a little early if that's the service that you want to come to. Let me encourage you with this. The six o'clock has plenty of room for you to stretch out. So if you say, hey, I love that service, but maybe four o'clock seems a little full to you, bring your family to the 6 p.m. service and you will have uh, more space to navigate in the sanctuary, okay? So please be aware next Sunday, 9 30 in the morning, it's 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. And it's going to be a full and great day. With that being said, let's turn our attention to God's word this morning. Isaiah chapter 55. I love this chapter of the Bible so much. And here's why. I believe that the whole of Isaiah is, is a vision that Isaiah receives or, or many visions that Isaiah the prophet receives and he has given to the people. Now, now remember, without going too, too far into a whole nother sermon series in Isaiah, things don't look great for them at their current place. When, when they receive this message from God through the prophet, things are, are bleak and they're only going to become darker. With that, there are incredible visions of hope. And so, if you were looking at the original Christmas promises, we're going to look no further than Isaiah. It's where we're going to find the first name, uh, or the name for the very first time, Emmanuel. We're going to see this picture of God coming to be with us. We just sang a song that his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. We we get that out of Isaiah. We get these promises of the coming king out of Isaiah. Last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 1, and it it kind of sets the stage for that whole book. And and if you were here, or or maybe if you watched it later, you know that Isaiah 1 is tough. It's tough because God is clear in his encouragement to his people. And I use encouragement lightly. He, he, he essentially calls them to task on their, their life of rebellion, their, their life of sin. And, and as we talked about last week, it, it's not a, a life that had happened just in a moment. It wasn't as if they were following him and then all of a sudden one day woke up and decided not to follow him, that they loved him and then one day opened uh, their eyes and decided to rebel against him. It happened over time that compromise after compromise after compromise led them to a place where they would come to worship God, but they didn't know God. They they would do the things of religion, the religious expressions. They would come and lift their hands. They would burn incense. They would give tithes and offerings. They would sing songs. They would bow down and worship, but none of it was real to them, for their hearts were far away from God, and God knew it. So God said, I I don't, I don't want the religious action. That's not why it's instituted. That's not why he's called the solemn assembly together. God isn't just looking for lip service. God wants his people's hearts. And so so with that, there is this call to task over over the sinfulness of their lives, and we saw just last week that at the very end, as if their heads would be hung down in shame and guilt because their life had been exposed, They, they are now on display for the whole world to see, and God says, even though your sin is like scarlet, it will be white as snow. Even though it is like crimson, it'll be white as wool. And he says, come, let us reason together. And it's this picture in the Hebrew as if God is taking their, their chins who are, who are hung down as their head is hung down and takes the chin and lifts it and looks them in the eye and says, hey, I see you. And all of it's broken, but I got you. And then the rest of these visions that the prophet Isaiah gives to God's people are going to be from that moment encouraging them not to trust in themselves, but trust in the one that's to come. The the great joy of Christmas is Christ being with his people and all of the fulfillment of those promises. And so when we get to Isaiah chapter 55, which is where we're going to be today, it is really a culmination of a large swath of scripture in, in this prophetic book. And it's a beautiful picture. So let's read the first two verses together, and I pray that you see the encouragement of this Christmas season and why we celebrate as we do. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, diligently to me, and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. All right, so as we understand this text, right, why do you, he makes this this statement, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and, and labor for that which does not satisfy? The fact that the prophet, through God's words, uh, de facto, the fact that God has to say this to the people, tells us that the people are making some really poor choices with their life. They're spending their money on things that won't feed them or nourish them, and they're working exhaustively for things that are always going to leave them wanting more. What's great about the illustration of these two groups, and I'll explain those two groups to you, is this is that the poor and the destitute and the rich and the able are both invited to come. What, what do we mean by the poor and the destitute? Those who work exhaustively. Tho- those who have to, to spend their life's capital, their every day, their, their, their energy that they have every day just to buy something. And, and what God is saying to his people is you are spending your life on something that's going to leave you wanting more. That's, the, that's the, the poor and the destitute. Or on the other side, the rich and the able. It says, why, why is it here that, that they have money to spend, but they're spending it on things that don't last? They are both equally invited to come and drink from the well of God. But not just both can they come and drink, but they both need to come and drink from the well of God. The good news of Jesus is not just for the poor. I know sometimes we may hear that and may believe that, or or maybe you you sit here and you hear gospel messages all the time, and maybe it's not a rich or poor thing for you. Maybe it is a spiritually rich or poor thing for you, and you hear a gospel message of encouragement, of hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone, and you say, man, that's awesome. I wish my aunt was here to hear that. Man, that was awesome. I wish my dad was here to hear that. Man, that's awesome. I got a friend at work. I'm sharing this message right now. And it doesn't affect you because all we see is them. We've got to understand that this gospel is for those who are outside the kingdom and inside the kingdom. Those who have everything and those of us who have nothing. The good news is not just for the poor. It's not just reserved for those with money or means either. The grace of God through Jesus Christ the Son is for everyone. Everyone needs to be revived. Everyone needs to be nourished. Everyone needs to be invited into the grand celebration of life. And there are three ways that, again, this this is certainly imagery that we are reading out of Isaiah. But he picks three things, three things that, that essentially we are invited as people, and, and the world is invited as people, to come and to drink. The first is water, and this picture here is a picture of nourishment, that for you to be dehydrated, nothing about life is going to matter because you are just clinging on to the very day that is. If you don't have clean water, you don't have much. And so there is a picture here that for all of those who are hanging on by a thread, that they come and they drink from the well of God, and when they come to that well, they will never thirst again, is what we find out in the Gospels. So we are invited to come and drink the water. And then there's another picture of nourishment, and it's by milk. And it's this picture that it's not just something that's going to quench a thirst, but it's going to be something that's going to give nutrients to your body, to your mind, and to your soul. Something that's going to bring you to vibrancy so that you can not just live, but you can thrive. And then the next picture I think is absolutely beautiful is a picture to come and to drink wine. And it's this picture to come and to, to not just have water, not, not just to have life, not just to have milk, not just to be vibrant in life, but it's to come and to have wine and to be invited into the grand celebration that is the joy of Christ. Again, this is completely metaphorical. Don't, don't go out to the store today to Kroger and try to buy water and bread, or water and milk and wine. In this, this is a picture of Christ inviting us in, the foreshadowing of of Christ being the one to invite us in, not just to live a life that is just okay, or not just to live a life that is just mediocre, but to live a life that is, to to use the line that he says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life like you cannot imagine. This is that invitation into the abundant life. That sounds amazing. So how do we, as God's people, come to that source, that water and that milk and that wine? How how do we we come to that source and receive it? What can we do? Look at the very end of verse 2. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Again, metaphor. Three steps to an abundant life. I don't do three steps to anything often, but I do believe it is pretty clear here. All right, step one. Come near and listen closely to the Father. How how do we do that? I I don't believe this is an exhaustive list, but I certainly believe that this is a pointed list. So let me encourage you. Here are three things that you can do to draw near to the Father. Number one, be in his word. Be in this book. That is is the primary way. That is the primary way that we are going to to hear and learn from the Father. Second thing that we do is we pray. We pray. We talked about this a few weeks ago. To be clear, prayer is not just our recitation of needs that we have that the Father may need to hear. Hear me out. He knows what you need before you even pray it. The majority of our prayer life, how do we know that our prayer life is strong? It's because we are sitting longer in silence hearing from the Father than we are speaking to him. So we come and we are in his word, we sit in prayer, and here, here's the last one, and I believe this is vitally important as well if we want to draw near to the Father, that is gathering faithfully with his people. I believe that there is so much to that, and it's not just on, on one hour a week or, or a few hours a week, this is, this is throughout every day, finding yourselves around other believers, gathering together to be encouraged by the word and through prayer. But we are, we are called to do those things. So, so going back to my list, that, that was like list one, sub, one, two, three. This is, this is the second thing that we do as we draw near to God. According to the word, we, we eat what is good. Metaphorical. I know we're in an eating season. Make sure that what you are putting into your ears, your heart and your mind is good, church. There is an old saying, and, and I, I heard it as a teenager, and I don't think I appreciated it. But now I greatly appreciate it. We will become what we behold. We will become what we behold. We we will begin to value what we continue to allow in our ears and through our eyes. Eat what is good. Third falls in line with that. Delight yourself in rich food. If we could, again, take a line from the New Testament, because I believe the New Testament is fleshing out much of the Old Testament. In Philippians 4, 8, we just covered that not too long ago. So, if whatever it is that you are ingesting, whatever it is that you are allowing yourself to be around, to fill your eyes and your ears and your heart, if it is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable or any part excellence or anything worthy of praise, then greatly enjoy those things. Like like do those things and find yourself and your heart rejoicing for the good things of God and the, the things of God that he's called you to. But God continues to invite his people into this incredibly perfect, imperfect, abundant life. Look at verse three. Incline your ear, come to me and hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. All right, again, we're going to hear words that may sound strange, but hopefully you get the the heart behind it. This idea of inclining our ear, that is positioning ourselves to hear from God, that we are going to come to him. And and church, I believe that, that in many ways this is not metaphorical, that we are actually to come into the presence of God actively choosing to move towards God and by the same token moving away from worldly or fleshly things our hearts do not have dual chambers you don't have a holy side and an unholy side you you don't have a sanctified side or an unsanctified side It, it is either a heart of stone or a heart of flesh for the believer, God has come to your life, and he has removed that heart of stone, and he has put into you a heart of flesh. He has come and given you a new desire for things. He has quickened your spirit and your soul. The things that you used to love when you weren't with him before, you now don't love as much. And the things that, that you used to find yourself detesting, now are the things that you love the most. It's this picture of what God is going to continue to do in the sanctification process. Those desires for holy things are only going to grow, we pray. And those desires to stay away from unholy things should be growing equally. And so, as we are going to incline our ear and we're going to come to the Father, we are going to, to actively choose to move towards His presence. God's faithfulness and unimaginable blessing is offered to His people. But there are two elements to this being seen and received, all right? I want you to listen closely as we walk through what I would say the gauntlet of this scripture is, okay? So, so here's the first element as we, we hear that blessing, when we, we go back and we read, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, uh, sure love for David. So, so with that, there is human responsibility That is on display. That is listening and drawing near to the Father. But then there's also equally God's responsibility, and that's his faithfulness and his promise. Our obedience to the offer of salvation and blessing is critical for salvation and blessing. Let me say it one more time just so so we're clear and nobody misquotes. Our obedience to the offer of salvation... And blessing is critical for salvation and blessing the offer to come and to receive what has been extended by our loving and faithful Father. Now it 's on us to decide whether we will take that offer of exchange or not. We are invited to come and to drink milk and. And, and water, and wine, and, and to buy those things without money. And I, I think that's an important phrase, the, the idea of to buy something without money. How, how is that a thing? Well, it's not an idea of buying something as if I have means, and I'm going to then trade a few of those means in order to get what the other person may have. That would be buying with money. Essentially, God is saying through the prophet Isaiah to the people, you don't have enough money. The the prize that you are going to receive is far going to exceed any means that you have. And so it's not an invitation to come and buy with money. It's an invitation to come exchange with a life. And this is a beautiful picture I don't want us to miss. To exchange our current life for eternal, never-ending, abundant life. But to whom do we make this exchange? And to whom do we buy without money? Listen to the next two verses about the promised one. Look at verse 4 and following. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. So so again, when we see the word behold, that is an emphatic word for for look look what's happening. When we read verse 3 with with these two verses, we see that God and his faithful love through David, his line, will give us uh, a witness For the people, and that witness will be a commander of the peoples. Here's the great news for us Gentiles. Are you ready? Verse 5. Behold, again, look, look, this is really important. You shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. See, this witness will call on a nation that isn't his. And the nation will run to him. They will run to him. Why? Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For the Holy One of Israel, the Lord, has glorified this witness. And church, for us to see and experience this witness is to see and experience the Holy One of Israel himself. Do you remember in John 14... When Jesus says these words, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, what he is saying is a manifestation of this declaration. He's saying, hey, you remember back in Isaiah 55 when, when, when it would be said that, that I'm sending... To you a witness, and that witness will be glorified. That that witness will have a weight to them that is different than anything else that's ever been seen on this earth. That that in glorification, if you go back and, and listen to the Roman series and, and we talked about glorification or glory of what that is, it's a term of weight. And it's this idea that that this this thing, whatever whatever gets glory, is going to be made seen as more real than everything else in the same way that you would pick up something real and a trinket of something that represents that thing, and you can tell which one's real just by the feel of it in your hand. And so God says, I'm going to send a witness, and that witness I'm going to glorify, and in that glorification, nations that don't belong to him are going to run to him, for his glory is going to be made known. That's a beautiful picture, particularly for us, if you grew up not Jewish— You were Gentile. You were not part of the original family of God. But God in his infinite grace has seen fit to draw those from the outside in and to call them sons and daughters. I'm so thankful for that. So, Jesus is the promised witness. He is the Holy One of Israel, right? So what do we do with him? What, 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 What do we do with him right now? Well, that, my friends, is the question that must be answered in this life. What will we do with Jesus? What will we do with the witness? What will we do with the one who comes and represents the Father to this world? Well, here's the invitation. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. All right? So the Lord desires that you and I in all of his creation would seek him and call upon him for help. God's desire is that we would call upon him to be saved. There's much to this passage that we need to understand and apply. So so number one, I want you to hear this. The Lord desires that all lost would come to him and be found. I believe that with all that I am. This invitation is truly awesome because the Lord isn't just saying this from a distance, but he is near inviting lost people to come and be found. But just because the invitation's there doesn't mean that all will come. The time for salvation sits right between the two advents. Thankful for the Eichelberger family and the explanation of Advent yet again to understand that there are two advents really we celebrate this time of year. We remember the first coming of Christ while looking towards the second coming of Christ. And it's in between those two worlds, those two moments in history, one that has happened and one that is surely to happen soon, that in between those two is the offer of salvation for all that would come. But not all will come. We know that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. We know that he has come to save the world. John 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why did God send his son? So that the world might be saved. If you needed more clarity, verse 17 follows. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When Christ came, it's the reason Simeon rejoiced so much When Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple to be dedicated, because the consolation of Israel had been born. Peace amidst chaos has shown up. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came not to condemn, but to save the world. But church, when he comes again, and he will come again, the time for salvation will be over. But when Jesus comes, he comes to bring judgment. I'll read for you quickly. It is a passage of Scripture I pray that you have written down. If not, you can write it down today. It comes from Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, listen, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And on his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Church, when he comes back, and he will come back, he will come not to save this time, but to judge. There's a time for salvation, and that time is now. So church, please hear this. Although the Lord's gracious salvation is offered to all that would receive it, it is not automatically applied to everyone on this planet. Salvation is 100% extended by God's grace. And it is 100%, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruffle some feathers here. Are you ready? It is 100% dependent on the sinner's faith to receive it. Faith? What is faith? That, that seems Josh, you, you dropped a bomb here. What, what is faith? It seems like a big deal. Faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's not enough just to believe that he is who he says he is. It's not enough just to understand that he has come from heaven to take away the sins of the world because demons believe that and even they shudder. But when it comes to faith, it is this confession. It is us coming to him saying, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God and we surrender our lives to you. Grace is 100% extended by God. But you have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to receive that grace. To to receive that that hope that God and His gracious nature has given to us. So that being true, and that living faith will allow, look at verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him And to our God who will abundantly pardon. see, praise God for this this miraculous invitation to leave a life of death and destruction behind and follow the promised one into compassion and abundant pardon. You may be sitting here thinking today, Josh, that's wild. Going back to to last week, looking at Isaiah chapter 1. The people are weak and broken even in their religious expression, they're they're wicked. Why would God still extend grace to us, his creation that has time and time again rebelled against him? Because he is a good and gracious God. Look at verses eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Church, praise him for this unshakable, eternal truth. But I want to be clear. This message of hope, the the, the message that we received today, the message that we have just read through the first nine verses of Isaiah 55, this message of hope wasn't just for Israelites then. It's not just for the church, us, today. This message is for the world until Christ comes again. Listen to the remaining verses. As our worship team comes and we move into a time of response, please don't check out because this is where I want you to to, kind of lock in here. Verse 10 and following. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, Shall come the cypress. Instead of the briar, shall come up the myrtle. They shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Church, this message is a message for the world. And so when we come to this Christmas season, the reason, well, truly, truly, I believe this with all that I am, the the reason why we as Christians find so much hope this time of year is because we are reminded that we were once outsiders and now we're insiders. We were once lost and broken and we couldn't get out of our own way, but God in his infinite grace saw fit not just to call for us, but sent a shepherd to come and get us. To lead us back and to never let us go. That is the beauty of the shepherd coming at the season of Christmas. This is awesome. But church, this isn't just for us. Because God's creation, and this is, I know, hard for some, and even hard for me. I put myself in some category. When you look around at the people that you interact with daily, none of them, listen, were created to be an enemy of God or you. They were all created in his image for his glory. And the same sin that used to separate you from God still separates many of them from the Father. And instead of being angry at them or judging them or casting insults at them, we are now, listen, by nature of the great commission where Christ was sent as the witness who's glorified but he's now gone to glory and he's now empowered the church to stand in his stead as the new witness to bring glory to Christ. So now we have an opportunity church to go into this world not to condemn, not to, to lead people further away but we have an opportunity to go into this world and to tell them the hope of the gospel we can tell them that they can come. Anybody who's thirsty, they can come to the waters. If you don't have any money, they can come and buy not just water, not just milk, but they can come and have water and milk and wine and enjoy the goodness of God with an exchange of life. And it's not an exchange that God is bringing them away from something that is going to to be good for them. God's not asking them to leave a good life coming to a lesser thing. God is calling them to leave something that's leading them to death that's going to give them now eternal life. So for us, as we come to this moment where we are going to respond, what's holding us back from telling the world this message? What, what is it? What is it that, that's holding us back? So as we move into this invitation time, I pray for us that, that as we even now are considering, let us lay down anything and everything that stands in a way that is an impediment to us in sharing this great gospel. The world is desperate to hear. And our Father in heaven has sovereignly chosen you and me to be the messengers. As so we move towards this end, we're going to sing a hymn. I'm not quite sure you've ever heard it. Maybe you have. I don't think you have. Earlier in our service today, we sang a song called, "O oh, Come All Ye Faithful. I love that. I love that Christmas hymn. This song's a little different. The title of it is called, Come Ye Unfaithful. Because I think one of the biggest things that we have as a hang-up to our sharing of the gospel is we think that we have disqualified ourselves from doing so. That maybe that gospel is good news to be shared by Pastor Josh. Or my life group teacher, or somebody that's not me. Because, Josh, if you knew me, you wouldn't want me going to share the gospel either. Hey, hear me out. This vision, Isaiah's vision that he received from the Lord, was not given to a pagan group. He was giving this to a covenanted group, a people that God saw fit before the beginning of time to be in his family. And the first invitation was for them to come and to buy the water and the milk and the wine without payment, for them to come and exchange their life is the payment has already been made. Jesus is the whole payment. So now we come and we eat and we drink and we rest in His sovereign grace over our lives. Church, we have a message to share. Let's let nothing stand in the way of taking that message to the world. As good and faithful witnesses, for the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we get to sing and declare. I pray, Father, now that as we move into this response time, that even as we hear these words that our hearts are ministered to, that as we sing these words, that we declare these things to be true. Holy Spirit, I ask that you begin to show us even more vividly the things that stand in our way even more so the call that you've placed on our hearts to go into the world, to make disciples of all nations. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with us?